Good evening. I'm Rob. And I'm Nate. And welcome back to Rob and Nate Record a Podcast. As we start a new theme month, we are starting Alfred Hitchcock Month. You can't really do Alfred Hitchcock in four movies. So not at all. It's not a definitive Alfred Hitchcock month. It is a Alfred Hitchcock month. Which we will eventually have to revisit. Yeah, likely that we'll return to it. So we've yeah. chosen two each uh, for this month. And the first up is Rob's is, selection. Is a sentimental favorite of mine. I have very fond memories of watching this with my maternal grandparents. Uh, similar to our episode we did about Father Goose. I recall watching this with my grandparents in their living room on 7800 South in Midvale, actually just a few blocks from here. Indeed. I've shown you that house, haven't I? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm watching that in their living room with them and watching it a few other times. And then I went from probably about the age of 13, maybe 14, to, to into my 30s before I saw this again. I don't think I saw this until probably in my late teens. There was a little mom and pa video store not far from the house uh, where I grew up, and I worked my way through the classics collection there. It's like, what what name do I know? It's the same place where I saw, rented the apartment for the first oh, yeah? time. And I'm that's pretty awesome. sure that's where I rented this. You said you were late teens when late that happened? Late teens, I think. What, what do you recall of your first impressions of this? You know, not much. Yeah? It's been, I've been thinking about it and trying to remember, and I'm not even 100% positive that's the the way I first saw it, but that's my best guesstimate. Do you recall impressions or anything of it? Well, I recall just how solid it was. And I was, of course, going through a bit of a Hitchcock phase. I think the first... I mean, I, I watched the reruns of the Alfred Hitchcock's Presents even when I was, like, six. Uh, so I always knew who Hitchcock was, but it was in high school that... And it started with Rear Window. Oh, yeah. And then it kind of progressed from there through Vertigo and Psycho and... Yeah, they're they're solid. Oh yeah, up. but yeah, again, this is a kind of a sentimental flavor for me. I actually didn't know the name of it when I watched this as a child. You know, as, mm-hmm. as is common, you see a movie as a child and you don't know the name of it. You just know you liked it. And I saw it a few times with my grandparents, a couple times with my parents. Never caught the name. And actually, it was Nate that helped me figure out which movie it was. I described a couple of scenes out of the movie to him, and he pinpointed the movie and I was not that I doubted Nate but I I, I rented it I believe this was years and years ago oh yeah we're talking probably a, approaching a decade ago and sure enough it was the movie and I bought it and I've watched it probably about once a year ever since wow. this is just a fun movie it's it's a very solid movie yeah. very witty dialogue yeah I don't I don't think I'd seen it in probably a decade or more and I had forgotten many of the twists uh, but you're right about the dialogue. Cary Grant has some, some great lines, and he delivers them wonderfully. I had kind of forgotten how quickly they jump into the plot, too. I mean, you're not very far into this that that they start the first plot element. That tends to be a Hitchcock thing. He, he, he doesn't like to waste time. Well, where should we dive into the on the plot on this? Oh, well, I guess this is... Or I is... guess our cast of characters. Yeah, and, and have you ever seen... Saboteur. I'm not positive. I, th- I think I have, but I'm not. Saboteur is a Hitchcock film from the early 40s. It has Robert Cummings, Priscilla Lane, Otto Kruger in it. It's got Norman Lloyd in it. He's the bad guy. He plays basically the same part that 
Martin Landau plays in this film. And what's interesting is Martin Landau has passed on. Norman Lloyd is still alive. He's 106 years old. Really? Yeah. Hmm. That film is basically this film. It's a very similar plot. It has to do with spies and a case of mistaken identity and fleeing across the country with a girl, and it ends on a massive monument. In the case of the earlier film, The Statue of Liberty. That's a solid film, very solid film. This is better. Yeah? It's a little... I mean, it's such a good film, it's hard for me to even say that this is better, but but this is better. This is... and. And you know me, I like the original versions. Oh yeah, yeah. But this has a has this crisp fifties look to it. It's it's got a wonderful cast. Uh, Cary Grant is wonderful in it. Eva Marie Saint is wonderful in it. As is James Mason, the aforementioned Martin Landau, and Leo G. Carroll. This is one of six Alfred Hitchcock films that Leo G. Carroll appears in. Does he appear in others we're going to do this month? Well, he appears in Spellbound. He appears in Strangers on a Train, The Paradigm Case, Rebecca, A Suspicion, and this film. Yeah, so not in others we're doing this month. So, even Marie Saint's character, at one point, she mentions that she is 26 years old. Yeah. She was 35 when she made this film. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you believe her is 26. Yeah. And you said uh, she's still alive today? She's still alive. She's 96. Wow. I believe she is the senior Oscar winner right now. because She won an Oscar for On the Waterfront in 54. So a few years before this. Well, I'm going to... Let me pull up the plot synopsis. A New York uh, City advertising executive goes on the run after being mistaken for a government agent by a group of foreign spies. And that's the quick plot overview. You have Cary Grant playing Roger Thornhill. Even Eva Marie Saint is Eve Kendall. James Mason is Philip Van Dam. Jesse Royce Landis is Clara Thornhill, Roger Thornhill, or Cary Grant's mother in the in the movie. Leo G. Carroll is the professor. You have Philip Ober is Lester Townsend. Martin Landau is Leonard, and a few other characters and things of that nature. The movie opens up in New York City. Roger Thornhill is going to meet some friends at a club for some drinks. And some business, some business thing too. And he is inadvertently mistaken for. So Roger Thornhill is mistaken for Roger Kaplan, and is kidnapped by this gang. They don't believe his mistaken identity thing, and they their first attempt to eliminate him is they force feed him some alcohol put him in a car with the intent of him driving off of a cliff, but he manages to salvage the car, is arrested for drunk driving. They, they should have taken this as proof that he was a Madison Avenue man if he could hold his liquor that, that well. Yeah. This is really what they should have ended the show Mad Men with. Yeah. They should have just done the last two episodes should have been a remake of this movie. There you go. You had a thing you wanted to see uh, Don Draper, like use technology and merge him yeah, with Don yeah, Draper. I've ever seen seeing... Uh, Thornhill and Draper having some kind of a uh, advertising meeting at that Oak Club or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You should. They could have digitally edited him in. That would yeah. be awesome. Yeah. But he's detained by the police for drunk driving. They're investigating things. His mom bails him out. Doesn't believe his story. He's trying to figure out who Kaplan is, and by his efforts to discover who Kaplan is, is further in believed to be Kaplan. 
and then is... They go into his hotel room. They're trying to track him down because Thornhill thinks this Kaplan person can shed light on whatever's happening, but they can they never run into him, and they can never find anybody who's seen him, which yeah. is an important plot point. Yeah. But he keeps being mistaken for him, and that eventually he goes in search of the man whose house he was at where he was plied with alcohol. Mr. Townsend. Yeah, Townsend. So he finds out that Townsend works for some kind of organization that involves him with the United Nations, and that he's at the United Nations. So he goes there, has him paged, is surprised to see that, hey, this is not James Mason, who introduced himself under your name yesterday. What's going on? He's, of course, being followed by some of the baddies that decide we can't let this happen. And so they throw a knife in the back of Of Lester Townsend. He's and murdered in the in the UN in General the UN, Assembly. Nobody quite sees it, which is convenient. And then, yeah. of course, uh, in a stupid move, Thornhill grabs the the back of the knife, gets photographed by a conveniently placed photographer. This is not the age of cell phones, and he has to go out on the run. And he's he's on the run, but trying to get to the next destination of this alleged Kaplan character because he had overheard an itinerary. Yeah. And that's where he is introduced to, to Eva Marie Saint as Eve Kendall on the train. They have a couple interactions before they meet in the dining car. I guess just one interaction before they meet in the dining car, where in the dining car, Eve Kendall, played by Eva Marie Saint, is extremely forward. He, she, we, we were laughing about that as we watched this, because again, it's been a long time, and I had forgotten how... The people at the Hayes office must have been blushing. I mean, you're almost surprised that this thing got passed. They 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 got just under the radar. It could almost make you wire. blush today. Yeah, she is so sexually aggressive yeah. for the female lead in a '50s big tent drama like this. Yeah, this is this is something you take your kids to see these yeah. character films. So they end up in her large drawing room. She hides him in the room uh, from the police who are searching the train and, and whatnot. And they reach their destination. He, They've paid one of the uh, porters for a disguise. And he's able to exit the, the train station and continue on the run. And he's supposed to meet Mr. Kaplan off of a bus stop where a plane, a crop dusting plane, proceeds to attempt to kill him with dive bombing and shooting and he somehow manages to trick the plane basically into flying into a tanker truck. And everyone on the plane dies. The tanker truck burns up. And he makes his way back to Chicago. The crop duster scene is, is the iconic scene of this film. It's got another pretty iconic scene at the end. But still, yeah. if, if you were to think of one image, it's, it's uh, Cary Grant running from that biplane shooting at him. It's been parodied many a time, and it's just—it's very effective. It's this—it's this interesting sequence that's smack dab in the middle of the film, and it's wonderfully stark and quiet and slow. And then he's running for his life. I mean, it's just a wonderfully put together, very memorable sequence. Oh yeah, it was great. But he makes his way back, confronts Steve Kendall, and then she leaves, kind of surreptitiously. But he's able to surreptitiously follow her to the auction house. Finds out that she is there with the bad guy, James Mason. Philip Van Dam, And they're there bidding on some items. And we later learn that these items that they're purchasing at the auction contain microfilm, and that's how they're sneaking these government secrets out of the country. 
and he is about to leave when he realizes that he's surrounded by the baddies and there's no way real way for him to exit this auction so he sits down in the auction and starts placing just crazy bids yeah bidding um, less than had been bid on things before and insisting that's what it's really worth and just disrupting the entire proceedings. Asserting that some of them are frauds, some of the items are frauds. Perplexing the auctioneer, who gives some good facial expressions. Well, and at one point when the bid is at $1,700, he bets $17.50. He bids. Bids. $17.50. And then when they return, like, he's trying to, to, to wait to bid thousands of dollars, you know, mm-hmm. you know, like $1,200 over the existing bid. You know, and things like that. So they call the police on him, and he gets himself arrested, thinking that this is what's going to keep him safe. He even goes out of his way to punch somebody unnecessarily to ensure that the police escort him out of there quickly. Yeah. And as he's in the police car, and they're taking him back to the police station, he identifies himself as this wanted murderer, tells the cops, you know, you've, you've, this is your lucky day. Congratulations. Yeah. And as they call it into the station, they're told to take him straight to the airport. And at the airport, we meet the professor, played by Leo G. Carroll, who takes him out onto the tarmac, explains that he's a government agent, that Kaplan is fake, doesn't exist, that they've just been perpetuating this because they have an agent in place, and that they need him to play along so that they can avoid exposing their agent, and that Eve, Eve Kendall is an agent, and that he needs to help them to protect her, you know, and things of that nature. So they convince him to fly to South Dakota with them, so they, they, which is the next destination. from Chicago on Northwest Airlines. Yeah. Yep, north by northwest. So they go up to, north, up to the Dakotas to go to Mount Rushmore, which is where these guys, Van Philip Van Damme is going to... Has a home up Eventually going to be taking off and leaving the country from. And there's a great confrontation in the cafeteria at Mount Rushmore where Eve Kendall evidently shoots Roger Thornhill, but she's shooting blanks. And the person who goes to check on him and says, you know, pulls out blood and says that he's dying is the professor. They load him in an ambulance, a park ranger ambulance, and take him out into the woods where he meets Eve Kendall. And they are reunited finally, but only to find out that he's been played. And Eve Kendall has to leave the country with Philip Van Damme in order to continue this this ruse and, and be able to continue to get secrets. And he's very upset because he thought he was going to be reunited with Eve Kendall to be, pursue their romance. He takes exception to it and starts trying to get to Philip Van Damme's house. And it's a good thing he does because Eve, Eve Kendall has found out. They figure out that she's been using blanks. And now they're going to kill Eve Kendall. And he has to... Various hijinks ensue in, in trying to get her freed from them Um, and there's another final chase sequence in which they chase the bad guys chase roger thornhill and eve kendall out onto the face of mount rushmore and they're climbing down the face of mount rushmore and eventually the professor has one of the park rangers shoot the last baddie and philip thornhill pulls eve kendall eva marie saint pulls her not up the face of the mountain but up into their bed and that's the end of the movie They're bet on the the train train, as they're proceeds into a tunnel. Yeah, they're taking their train back to New York to rekindle their first romance, their first night together. So, just an incredibly solid film. Again, extremely witty throughout. We're going to probably have to look up some of the lines here in a minute, but 
yeah, just extremely witty throughout. I thoroughly enjoy this movie. It's it's an absolute favorite for me. Oh, it's it's great. I mean, yeah. it, uh, I don't know how you improve it. No. How would you rate this movie? Four stars, ten out of ten. You go full ten. Yeah, huh? go full ten. Yeah. Like, it, I mean, it's just so iconic. Everybody, I mean, they're they're running on all cylinders. Everybody gives an excellent performance. Uh, everybody's at the top of their game, and it's it's implanted itself in the cinematic consciousness collective for a reason. Yeah. Oh yeah, I completely agree. I also agree that I would give this four stars on the four star scale. I kind of bounce back and forth between nine and ten stars on the ten star scale, but I agree with you because I can't think of anything to improve on this. So ten out of ten is for me as well. It is a well-received movie. Its its aggregate score on IMDb is 8.3 stars. Maybe a little low for this one. I'm kind of curious why that would be a little bit lower, but you know that's that's a pretty good rating on IMDb. Yeah, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. Had a for 1959, what would have been a high, seemingly high budget of 3.1 million dollars, and the box office numbers here. Must be inaccurate. Worldwide gross is that cannot be right. It says yeah, seventy three thousand. Wikipedia says that the budget was four point three million and that it made nine point eight million at the box office. I do recall, even though I'm fuzzy on the exact numbers, that it was a tremendously successful film. I mean, Hitchcock in the late fifties, early sixties was just repeatedly knocking things out of the box office park. I was just glancing at some trivia on this. Evidently, while on location at Mount Rushmore, Eva Marie Saint discovered that Cary Grant would charge fans 15 cents for an autograph. Evidently, Alfred Hitchcock, Sir Alfred Hitchcock filmed Cary Grant's entrance into the United Nations building from across the street with a hidden camera. When he gets to the top of the stairs, a man about to walk down does a double take upon seeing the movie star. <laughs> so the scene where the crop duster is chasing and shooting at Thornhill was filmed with a real airplane. And then the scene where the shot where the plane crashes into the fuel truck was done with models of both the truck and the plane. I was kind of curious about that. One uh, little note that stood out to me at the beginning of the film, those kind of cityscape shots that were so great. Yeah. There's one in particular, there's kind of a corner store. I'm pretty sure that that, like I recognized a couple of the, the scenescapes. I think one of them is the same from Guys and Dolls with Frank Sinatra. I'll have to double check that at some point, but looked pretty familiar. Are you interested in some of the quotes on this one? Oh, yeah. Something wrong with your eyes? Yes, they're sensitive to questions. What happened with your first two marriages? My wife's divorced me. Why? They said I led too dull a life. I did like the fact that they gave Cary Grant's character this backstory. That he wasn't some generic, how has that guy never been married kind of character, but that he'd had you know, these past marriages, and that he was, you know, that, that early sequence with, with his secretaries, the secretary is following him into a cab because he hasn't finished dictating for, in his office. And you just sense that this guy is all about this very narrow advertising life. Yeah. And that these events uh, brought out a side of himself that he probably didn't even know he had. Uh, Clara Thornhill, as they're getting on the elevator and the two of the baddies get on behind them, you gentlemen aren't really trying to kill my son, are you? And then everybody laughs. And the, the way that they play some of these things off, 
to kind of get out of these awkward situations or even the elaborate changes that happen at the Townsend house when uh, the detectives go there to follow up on yeah. Grant's story and even the liquor has been removed and replaced with books. This is uh, from the, the dining car. The moment I meet an attractive woman, I have to start pretending I have no desire to make love to her. What makes you think you have to conceal it? She might find the idea objectionable. Then again, she might not. But it wasn't very sporting. Using real bullets. No, no, mother, I have not been drinking. No, no, these two men, they poured a whole bottle of bourbon into me. No, they didn't give me a chaser. It's going to be a long night, true. And I don't particularly like the book I've started. Ah, uh, you know what I mean? Ah, uh, let me think. Yes, I know exactly what you mean. I didn't like the way Teddy Roosevelt was looking at me. Roger, pay the two dollars. Which isn't a reference to his drunk driving arrest. Then your name isn't Kaplan. Can't say that it is, because it ain't. What does the O stand for? Nothing. Nothing. If I thought there was any chance of changing your mind, I'd talk, you, talk about Miss Kendall, of whom you so obviously disapprove. Yes, for using sex like some people use a fly swatter. I didn't realize you were not collector. I thought you just collected corpses. We'll get them. We'll throw the book at them. Assault and kidnapping. Assault with a gun and a bourbon and a sports car. We'll get them. I may go back to hating you. It was more fun. Now what can a man do with his clothes off for 20 minutes? Couldn't he have taken an hour? You could always take a cold shower. Patience is a virtue. So is breathing. You're the police, aren't you? Or is it the FBI? FBI, CIA, ONI. We're all the same alphabet soup. So horribly sad. How is it that I feel like laughing? Have you been drinking? Doctor, I am gassed. Handle with care, fellas. I'm valuable property. I'm being followed. Can you do something about that? Yes, I can. Do it. Which brings up a point. That I had been making as I was going through this film. It's like, oh, this keeps reminding me of things that are on my bucket list. I definitely at some point want to be in a taxi cab and tell the cab driver I'm being followed. Can you lose them? I also want to use a clever pseudonym in a hotel. I want to take a neat train trip. I want to be in a fancy hotel with a beautiful blonde. Or a train car. Train car works. Yeah. Yeah, this this movie is really witty. I'm sure we didn't do it sufficient justice. Is there anyone you would not recommend this movie to? Wow, that's a challenge. No. Four-year-old, maybe. I think the first time I saw this, I really think I was around the age of eight with my Mm. grandparents. I thought it was great back then. Again, I saw it several more times. I think I saw it four times in the span of five years Mm. between the ages of eight and 13. But yeah, it's like I said, then I went on a long break just because I didn't know what it was or where to find it. But this is a great film. I don't think we've ever had one we both rated 10 stars before, have we? Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. Or both rated four stars, either either scale. So, yeah, this is a great one. North by Northwest. And I'm Rob. I'm Nate. And this is Rob and Nate Record a Podcast. You've never been to Mount Rushmore? No, I have not. We might have to road trip there at some point. Well, I've, I've been there once. And when I was thinking about it, I'm like, had I, had I seen this before then? Because was, I was 14. Uh-huh. Uh, but maybe I was just aware of it or from other things. Actually, I must have seen it before then, now that I think about it. But I was 
looking forward to you know going over a ridge and seeing it and being awe inspired. And I'm looking, looking, waiting for it to show up. And then my brother's like, "Oh, it's behind us." It's like, "Oh, that was disappointing." <laughs> <laughs> One other thing that I, I noticed in this film is James Mason has this really nice place up on top of Mount Rushmore. Yeah, not very realistic, but for the movie, and. He's got this really nice uh, kind of two-story living room, family room, den space. And one of the things in that space, very prominently featured, is a TV. And they need to make you aware that the TV is there because the maid is eventually going to see Cary Grant through reflection through that TV, see him sneaking around, realize that he's there and try to hold him hostage with what turns out to be the fake gun that Eva Marie Saint was using. And I remember just now when I saw this, I'm like, well, why does he have a nice TV like that up there in the 1950s? Because I swear that his reception on top of Mount Rushmore in South Dakota in 1959 is going to be crap. He's not going to get any TV worth yeah. having because it had to be there for the uh, the mirror gag. Yeah, this was a fun one. I'm glad we watched that. Yeah, we'll have to see how at the end of Alfred Hitchcock month, if throwing in a sentimental favorite was worth it, but I think it certainly was. Wow. I, I, I mean, to come out with a 10 star, I mean, yeah. I just now made that connection that we're going to have to be ranking these Hitchcock films at the end of the month. That's going to be a big I didn't challenge. even think about that. <laughs> yeah. So I definitely want to, at some point, be in a cop car and tell her, beep. Now, you can't really do Halpert Hitchcock. Beep. Ba-ding. I... I took your hair away, and apparently I took your voice away. Indeed. Yeah. Helps if I'm on the right screen to end the recording.